you, John. I am celebrating today for lots of reasons. Sanctity of life is one of them. I'm also celebrating that I have rubbed off a little bit on Pastor John. <laughs> I am not the only one that has now cried from the pulpit. So uh, today is a special day because it's Sanctity of Life Sunday in our family as well. And that handsome fellow, <laughs> I'm going to do it too, I'm going to get all savvy. That's my newest grandson, our second grandson who was born two weeks ago to my daughter, Kira. Yeah. I'm, I'm so proud of them. My Son-in-law is a huge fan of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So they named him after Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, and such a, an amazing name for this time, is it not? So Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for those of you who don't know, uh, opposed the Nazis and stood for the truth and the gospel in Ger Nazi Germany. So... So excited to have that new life. So excited for Pastor John and Dee to experience the joy of grandkids. They're such an amazing gift. So I'm privileged today to stand and, and speak about life. And what I'm going to do, we're going to tag team with Dr. Brett. I'm going to open us up and I'm going to start with just giving you a picture from scripture of what is God's plan for life. I'm going to talk about the introduction of life. So we're going to start in Genesis. Then I'm going to talk about the enemy of life because the Bible and Jesus himself instructed us that we have an enemy. I'm going to talk about the value of life what God's word tells us that value is. I'm going to then hand off to Dr. Brett, a man who knows life inside and out. And if you know Dr. Brett as a doctor, he's also a surgeon. So literally, he has seen the ins and outs of life in his career, as has his wife, Dr. Lorraine Schillingstad, uh, and the two of them have just been an amazing blessing as they bring to us a perspective of followers of Christ in the medical industry, the medical mission field. And they are, along with others, co-founders of Cornerstone Medical Mission or Direct Personal Care Clinic in Sandpoint. So... They have a unique perspective, and, and Dr. Brett's going to share that with us. And then I'm going to come back up after he's concluded, and I'm going to close us out by talking about the restoration of life. So, would you pray with me, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for life. Thank you for this opportunity to celebrate and hear from your word, your view of life. Lord, we pray that uh, for all of those who have been affected by attacks on life, that you would just guard them right now with your presence and your love, knowing that when Satan attacks, that you have given us a hope beyond those attacks and beyond this world. So Lord, give us now your perspective on that hope and that love 
and allow each of us to experience it through your word. Bless this time, Father, in this message and just help Brett and I to get out of the way and let you communicate to the hearts of each person hearing this message. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to begin by talking about the introduction of life. As I mentioned in Genesis is where that starts. In the beginning. Genesis 1.1, right? Starts the story of life. And first God created other forms of life. He started by creating plants, fish. Then he created birds, bugs, and beasts to populate the world with life. And then... In Genesis 2, he created man, and he says this in Genesis 2, 7. God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So God is the source of all life from the beginning, through all of time, and into the future. Life comes from God. And when he created man, scripture says that he created us in his image. And a part of that image is that he created us to be eternal beings. Eternal. See, originally Adam and Eve were not intended to die. They were created to live eternally in relationship with God. Now he designed them, and as he created them in the image of God, male and female, he designed them in a specific way. He designed them to come together and reproduce. And God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. This was God's plan to expand life. So God defined and created marriage and the family genesis 2 24 through 25 says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh this was god's plan through marriage which he defined between one man and one woman to come together and expand the life that God had put into man. In Genesis 2.28, he further commanded Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it. Well, what were they going to fill the earth with? Life. Life through reproduction. And God continues that plan of life through man to this day. All life, every living human that has ever been created, received the breath of life from God. But there was an enemy of life. And we first hear about that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, when God warned man. He said, you can eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the Garden of Eden, but one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says in two seven, Genesis 2.17, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So 
this vessel of death is an enemy of life. Seizing that, Satan immediately began his campaign against God's plan for life. The first attack we read in scripture about is the temptation of Adam and Eve. And yes, like we all would have, they failed and they sinned. And sin brought, just as God warned, death for the first time into the world. The curse of death. Adam and Eve didn't physically die, but that spiritual death entered for the first time. John 10.10 records Jesus' words when he said that the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Jesus warned us of the enemy. Satan is the enemy, and the instrument that he uses against God's plan for life is death. And Satan promotes death. As a result of man's sin in Adam, God cursed Adam. In Genesis 3.19, a portion of that curse says this, For out of dust you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What God was saying was for the first time, Adam had an expiration date on the planet Earth to return to dust, that his body would physically die. Scripture calls that the first death. That curse was then passed on to all of Adam and Eve's offspring and to all mankind since then. Pastor John recently preached from Romans. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That sin that we all have participated in has brought death to each one of us. We are destined to die. But God retains the authority and the power to determine the span of each life that is created on earth. And that's recorded in Psalm 139 that Pastor John read from earlier. Verse 16 says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You hear what he's saying? He's saying God knew every one of the days of our lives before we were ever formed, and he breathed life into us. So the span of our life is known by God. Acts confirms this in chapter 17, 25 and 26, where it says, He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods 
and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God determined when you and when I would live. I know a lot of times I feel like I was born way too late. Should have been born in the Old West. Or the pioneer days. But no, God knew exactly when it was best for my life on earth. And he determines those periods. But Satan is constantly attacking God, that plan of God. He attacks it at every facet. He attacks pre-life. We know God's plan for life, but Satan attempts to attack pre-life by attacking marriage. Has marriage, God's definition of marriage, been under attack? Absolutely. Divorce rates. The definition of marriage. He has attacked through sexuality, distorting God's plan, which was for one man and one woman to come together to expand life. He has attacked, Satan has attacked God's plan for life now through gender confusion. All of those things target God's plan and method to continue to expand life that we would fill the earth with life. Satan attacks early life, the preborn, through abortion, through birth control. Satan attacks midlife through illness, accident, murder, war, suicide. Are these things that we're hearing more and more about? How about population control? God said, fill the earth. Do you know that when the population was at 6 billion, now we're about 8 billion now, 6 billion people can fit in the state of Texas and everybody gets 1,000 square feet? Does that sound like the world is full? I don't think so. So maybe we expand into New Mexico to cover the extra 2 billion now that we're 8 billion. The world is far from full as God intended it. Satan has attacked late in life. Euthanasia, mercy killing, the ending of life prematurely of the aged because somehow we determine that they have less value. Assisted suicide, and you'll hear more about that from Dr. Brett as well as government and corporate-controlled health care decisions. It's becoming difficult for those with serious medical conditions to even get essential care because Satan is attacking life. But God gives life value. And we know from Scripture, the very first death that's recorded in Scripture is the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. And what did God do? God cursed Cain. There were serious consequences. That says that God put value on the life of Abel. 
he further reiterated and stated that to Noah and his family when they came off the ark. The ark. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, he says this, From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You hear it right there. God says man's life has value because we were made in his image. This is the passage, by the way, that we get that term, life for a life. God said man's life is valuable. In fact, it's so valuable, it made God's top ten list. The Ten Commandments, one of the commandments, thou shalt not murder. But really, the best picture from Scripture that defines the value of your life, the value of my life, the value of every life that's been created, is what God was willing to pay. Because we all inherited death, God created a plan from before the foundation of the earth to redeem. What does redeem mean? It means to pay for. What was God willing to pay to redeem us from the death that we inherited because of sin? John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So never think that your life is not worth any value. Your life to God is worth the value of his own son because that's what he paid to purchase us back for every life. God gave our lives value. I'm going to stop there and invite Dr. Brett to come up right now and then I'm going to come back in just a few minutes. Thank you, Pastor Danny. Appreciate what you've shared so far. Uh, Brett Schillingstead, as uh, Pastor Danny mentioned before, and a privilege to be up here again sharing with you. Uh, just wanted to start with kind of a little bit of background of medicine. When physicians finish medical training, they take something called the Hippocratic Oath. And this is an oath that's taken, has been taken for many centuries, committing yourself to providing good medical care, comforting patients, alleviating suffering. And up until 50 to 60 years ago, before it was watered down, physicians would take an oath not to terminate life or to terminate the life of the unborn. In fact, the original Hippocratic Oath uh, states, nor shall any man's entreaty prevail upon me to administer poison to anyone, neither will I cancel any man to do so. Moreover, I will give no sort of medicine to any pregnant woman with a view to destroy the child. And we can see how over the past 60, 70, 80 years, stuff like this has been removed from the oath that physicians take. And in fact, they're encouraged to terminate life at the end of life and encouraged to terminate the life of the unborn. And it's tremendously sad to see that. Uh, many of the pioneers of medicine were godly men 
who believed that human life was created and we could understand it and we could treat it and alleviate suffering. And we see that that worldview is being largely abandoned. In fact, we've really moved from medical science to political science running the medical field. It's really no longer based on the scientific method. And I think back to when I was in pre-med and starting medical school, um, one of the things in the DSM guide, the Diagnostic Guide for Psychiatry, put, about, put out by the American Psychiatric Association, was that homosexuality, transgenderism, lesbianism, and all this stuff were mental illnesses. And that was accepted until the 70s or, or 80s. And there wasn't any huge scientific breakthrough that caused us to realize these were no longer medical conditions and abnormal conditions. It was the political pressure and threat of lawsuits that convinced the American Psychiatric Association to remove LGBTQ stuff from the, the diagnostic guide. And then jumping to the last few years, we see the handling of the COVID pandemic. Very little of that being based on medical science and the scientific method, but being based on political science. And we can see doctors being vilified and ostracized for bringing up significant medical concerns that were really pushed aside. And now we see years later, actually were legitimate concerns based on science. One of the other areas that's so frustrating is the movement of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the medical world. In fact, they choose medical students now to attend medical school based on their views on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in fact, uh, even my professional society, the American College of Surgeons, is starting to promote some of these DEI initiatives. In fact, medical students, instead of providing the same care for everyone, are now being taught that they should triage patients based on their race, gender, or other factors to improve the equity to alleviate historical inequities in society, which to me just seems ridiculous to the way that I was uh, trained. So the abortion argument, if it were based on purely medical science, physicians would not perform abortion and would really uphold what was traditionally taught and taken as a part of their Hippocratic Oath when they completed their training. I think for abortion, the rational argument against abortion is very strong. There's absolutely no doubt upon the moment of fertilization that that embryo is gonna become only one thing a unique genetic human being that's different from the father and mother. It's not gonna come out and be a different animal or a piece of fruit or anything like that. Rationally, we know this is gonna be a unique individual. I think the other thing is we live in a world where contradictions are really tolerated. And one of the areas uh, where it's a great example of just how ridiculous our thinking is, is the way we handle um, handle the unborn. So there's something called Lacey's Law. And as what Lacey's Law says, it's a federal law, is that if you injure a pregnant woman and she miscarries, you can be charged with manslaughter or homicide. If you kill a pregnant woman, instead of being charged with one count of homicide, you can be charged with two counts of homicide. Now you can go right down the street and a woman with the same um, state of pregnancy 
can have her pregnancy terminated, and that is not homicide, that's an accepted medical procedure. How can a 24-week infant inside of one woman where the child's wanted result in homicide, yet be acceptable to be terminated down the street? And I think there's just no way you can reconcile what's going on in our society today. So why is our society so pro-abortion? And I think there's just some things we really need to consider about the worldviews out there. First of all, corporations love abortion. And corpor corporations really tout themselves as being kind and sympathetic by paying for women's travel from a state that prohibits abortion to a state that allows it and paying for their abortions. So why would corporations like abortion? Well, I think first of all, employees that get pregnant miss work, they go out on maternity leave and their productivity is decreased. Women and their spouses who have children miss work for sick children, sports activities, and other things such as that. If you really want a productive workforce and you're cynical, like many corporations, you're gonna help further abortion to get the maximum productivity out of people. The other big push towards abortion is the World Economic Forum and all the climate change activists. They truly believe there's too many people on the earth creating too much carbon. So the way that to save the planet is to depopulate it through initiatives like abortion. And this is what's being promoted across, uh, across our country and throughout the media. So what are the implications of this high abortion rate? Well, in order to maintain our current population, you have to have a fertility rate of 2.1. In the United States, it's 1.7, which means we are not creating enough children to replace people who die or pass away. Similarly, it's even worse in Europe. There's countries like Malta where the fertility rate is 1.1 or 1.5. If you look across Europe, US, Canada, China, Russia, and Japan, not enough babies are being created to replace the population that's passing away. Because we abort so many babies, we can't maintain our population. In fact, since 1973, over 63 million babies have been aborted. That would be a tremendous number of people alive today, plus their children and grandchildren who would be alive today. So what does that do if we can't replace our population? We don't have enough people to fill jobs. We don't have enough people to pay taxes, pay social security and benefits. So what do corporations and chambers of commerce do to maintain our population? They all push for open borders. Because if you have open borders, if people aren't having children, you recruit more people to come into the country. And when those people come into our country, they're bombarded with secularism. They're bombarded with pro-abortion attitudes in the schools and media to make those people like the globalists want them to think. And I think that causes many problems as we see the mass migration into Europe and into the United States. Many times these people don't have the same Judeo-Christian values as we have. Um, they don't understand and value our Constitution like we do. Um, and they don't necessarily want to adopt our values. You look at many of the suburbs around Detroit uh, that are primarily, primarily Islamic. Those areas actually practice Sharia law, which is in contradiction to our Constitution. 
Uh, we really need to see these people assimilate, just not flood our society, and to really understand the gospel than to adopt many of these cultural views that are so against scripture. I think social media really glorifies a lifestyle without children. You think about the dual income, no kid families, and this is something that's promoted all the time in social media, how if you don't have kids, you have more disposable income. You can go on more vacations, fancier vacations, buy more stuff, have bigger homes, more retirement. I don't think that hedonism is really God's plan. I think valuing the family, the church, and society is so much more important than just accumulating material stuff. And certainly we see the psychological costs of abortion and the medical complications that occur, depression, infertility, and other adverse consequences of that as well. I think one of the other areas is just percentage-wise how abortion really affects minorities more than, um, than uh, the average population. Uh, Margaret Sanger, the, the eugenicist who founded Planned Parenthood, really wanted to purge society of the weak, the poor, and minorities. And that's the reason you see most Planned Parenthood uh, facilities in poor urban areas because it's really to purge society of people who are less desirable. Very cynical attitude from the early 1900s. And in fact, the most insecure place for black lives is really in the womb. If you look at the general population, blacks make up about 14% of the population, but they constitute about 40% of the abortions. The same thing with Hispanics and other uh, low socioeconomic people. There's a really kind of sick, cynical um, force between, uh, behind abortion and the abortion statistics. And then I even think about the number of disabled people. With prenatal testing and babies being aborted, such as babies with Down syndrome, you don't see disabled and people with disabilities like you saw, say, 50, 60 years ago, because many of those people are never allowed to uh, be born alive because of prenatal testing. And I think finally, the most uh, disturbing part of abortion is it's not just during the nine months that the baby's in the womb. Now there's many states such as California's and others that allow a baby to be terminated during the first 30 days of life. So if a baby is born with congenital problems or a disability, you can withhold food, water, nutrition, and medical care and allow that baby to die during the first 30 days of life. So this is going way beyond what anyone wants to promote or talk about in the media. And they're really jumping to kind of the last part of this, which is what um, Pastor Danny talked about, is euthanasia and end-of-life decisions. And I know end-of-life decisions are very difficult. You want to prolong life whenever possible. On the other hand, you don't want to prolong suffering if, and do needless medical care if someone is going to certainly pass away. But we've gotten to the point where physicians actively assist patients uh, in suicide and give them lethal injections and schedule the termination of their lives. Now, initially, this was for terminal medical conditions where someone was going to die anyway, they were in pain and suffering, uh, certainly still not acceptable, but this has ex expanded way beyond just terminal conditions. Now you can get physician-assisted suicide for things such as uh, mental illness. 
If you have recurrent depression, you can get physician-assisted suicide. In Europe, there's been many cases where people were developing progressive blindness or deafness, and they couldn't imagine living as a blind person, so they uh, scheduled themselves for physician-assisted suicide. In Canada, they can't find enough doctors to meet the demand of patients who want their lives terminated. And what a sad thing where we're actually actively helping as physicians, patients to end their lives. I think the last thing that's been most disturbing to me is you would really do whatever it took to extend people's lives among the elderly. Now people in medical school are being taught that the majority of the costs of medical care are the last nine months of a person's life. So in order to save money and to extend uh, health care to things such as um, sex transitions and gender transitions, they're trying to discourage elderly people from getting routine medical care to save money. And it's such a cynical attitude that we don't value the elderly. I mean, previously, having gray hair was really a crown on your head. There's the wisdom and value of the elderly and of parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. And certainly that's something that we need to be pushing back against. I think really, as, as we've talked about this, this is a culture war and Satan is behind it. And as Christians, we know the right answer. Uh, secularism, Marxism, and globalism is taking over our culture and having an increasing impact. People are vastly undervaluing uh, life and what life is about. And we're certainly losing our national values, constitution, and Christian underpinnings as a nation by not rec recognizing the sanctity of life. If people were having children, we wouldn't have some of these other problems uh, that we're dealing with. So we're reaping the consequences of not following God's word. You know, I think back to Isaiah and David and, and the stuff that they wrote in scripture that we're fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. We were knit together within the womb. God knew us before we were ever born. And I think as unique individuals and looking at the terrible consequences of the termination of life before birth, as well as the termination of life at the end of life, we have a serious message that we need to share, and we need to share the uh, scriptural values that are so important. So I'm gonna let Danny finish uh, with some additional thoughts from scripture. Thank you, Brett. Um, so the attack is full scale. Satan has not missed any opportunity to attack God's plan for life. You know, Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 16, he says, in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So there's hope. We have hope. And that hope is in Jesus. Death came into the world. We all inherited the condition. But there is a possibility for life to be restored for everyone. And that life restoration comes through Jesus. His death and his resurrection that proved his power over death 
that's available to us through him provided us atonement, payment for our debt to be free from death. It offers us forgiveness for all of the sins that we've committed, past, present, and future. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus was speaking to the sister of Lazarus, who he had just raised from the dead. And he told her this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. God created man to be eternal. His plan from the beginning and as a restoration to overcome death is to live eternally with him, forgiven in a relationship, just as he initially created man to be. Life on earth is a moment of time compared to eternity. Scripture says it's like a vapor that comes and goes. God's plan for life goes well beyond this world, no matter how many days we spend. And though Satan continues to attack, Jesus said right after he told us that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, that he has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants us to know that life. I understand and realize that the topic we're talking about today can be very sensitive for some of you. There may be someone who's listening right now whose life carries the scars of something that did not go according to God's plan for life. But God wants you to know that there is a possibility of being relieved of that burden. He wants you to know that he loves you that he loves all life. God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge through Jesus Christ. Whether the burden you carry today is because of an abortion, because of a suicide, because of an elderly person in your family or that you loved, or any other issue of life that Satan attacked, Jesus wants you to know that he's defeated death. He's defeated sin. He's paid the price. And there can be restoration of life. There can be healing for that burden. If you turn to him, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. He's waiting and he's willing. There is no sin that he can't forgive. And there's no hurt that he can't heal. If your heart needs healing in a few minutes, we're going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity 
to lay that burden at the feet of Jesus, to ask him for that healing. As followers of Christ, knowing God's plan for life equips us to identify where Satan has attacked. Maybe today you hear God calling you to get more involved in protecting life. And there are many ways to do that. You can pray. You can provide financial support. Or you can volunteer your time. The mission focus in your bulletin for Priest River Community Church this month is Life Choices Pregnancy Center in Sandpoint. They are on the front line of protecting the unborn. There are opportunities there to get involved and support their mission. They counsel young mothers and fathers. They help provide the skills they need to be the parents that God wants them to be. There's lots of opportunities, and if you need to get in touch with them, we'll be glad to put you in touch with them. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge you as the source of all life, that you gave it value and communicated that to us in the sending of your Son to redeem life back to the way you intended it to be, to restore to us an opportunity to know you and spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to answer the question, who is Jesus? And to receive that forgiveness by choosing to surrender our lives and let you give us life through Jesus. Father, I pray now for all those who are hurting because of something in their lives that did not go according to your plan for life. I ask right now, Lord, that you just help them to turn to you. I pray, Father, that you would give them the ability to just come before you right now and be honest, to lay that hurt at your feet, to receive the healing, to ask for forgiveness where forgiveness is necessary, Lord, if it's for someone in their lives, a family member or a loved one, I pray that you would continue to give them the strength to lift that situation up before you in prayer and to offer the truth from your word of the hope that we have through Christ. Father, we pray that you would imprint on our minds and hearts the value of life that you've communicated to us through your word, that you would help us to stand for life, to love each other as an acknowledgement of the value that you've given to every life that you've created. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to celebrate the value of life. And we thank you for the life that you've given us in Jesus. We pray in his powerful name.
Amen.